0: Back empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Back to aggregate, convert, send and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards. Get started by downloading the Back app today and treat your digital assets just like cash. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies, or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com now to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at Exodus.com and you're ready to go. ladies and gentlemen thanks for tuning into the scoop i'm your host frank chapar director of news at the block and we have i say this all the time i say this every episode a very special episode of the show for you but today i think you know it's been a bull market for the better part of the last year now but you know we haven't seen news at the forefront of things as much as we have today With Vitalik Buterin obviously offloading a range of dog, Doge-themed meme tokens, gas prices over the past couple days, not just in Ethereum world, but even in the traditional market have been skyrocketing. And so to kind of unpack what we're seeing and what we're excited about in DeFi and beyond, we have a luminary of that corner of the market, Vance Spencer co-founder of Framework Ventures. Very excited to have him on the show. We've talked several times. I was joking before we turned on the mics. I think last time we spoke, you guys were at like a quarter of a billion dollars in AUM. And then I think I got an update at some point a couple months ago. Maybe it was four days ago. Who really knows that you were at half a billion in AUM. And now you're probably a billion dollar plus fund in the space, dabbling mostly in DeFi. And then you also have your own sort of experimental labs portion of the business where you're trying to actually build out different technology use cases in the crypto market. But anyway, without further ado, long intro for you there, Vance. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure.
0: My pleasure. So I guess we can start, you know, we talked about, a few episodes ago, the institutionalization of the Doge market, which is a real thing, right? There, there are brokers and infrastructure providers out there that are powering um, this, what at one point was an $80 billion market. But there's also these mimic coins coming to fruition that you know we saw sort of fatalic quote unquote, pull the rug from today. But when we think about DeFi, if we think about even the last Cambrian explosion this past summer, has the promise sort of been diluted into just the memery that we're seeing today? Or, from your vantage point, is there something more profound?
1: I think uh, I think about it in two ways. You know, number one, a lot of these dog coins and you know, generally coins that have uh, supply that's tightly held and the fully diluted is not, you know, the circulating, these are basically financial napalm and people are going to get roasted as they play with them. But on the other hand, you know, I think the people who, you know, poo-poo on these, on these dog coins or, or these speculative coins are largely kind of rewriting, you know, a lot of their own history and in coming into the space. A lot of people came into the space because they saw the promise of acquiring wealth. They saw, you know, the volatility, they saw something interesting. And speculation has always been something that's native to the space and has been the carrot, which has drawn a lot of people in. And so, you know, while I'd prefer that they hold things like Bitcoin or Ethereum, I think holding Dogecoin or Shiba coin or really whatever coin you choose is a promising first step into the rest of crypto. And I think it's dilutive to the brand in the near term. But, you know, onboarding people with private keys and using MetaMask and using Zapper to do these transactions, that's a net positive. And I definitely don't want to You know, basically uh, take a high horse on anybody speculating because that's just not my position and that's not what this industry is about.
0: At the end of the day, is what's going on in the meme coin market any different? And I think Joe Weisenthal at Bloomberg wrote something to this effect, any different from what's going on in meme stocks, right? At the end of the day, this whole market has kind of become this weird place of casino-esque revelry to an extent. So, as a professional investor, how do you sort of engage with that when things are so unpredictable?
1: Yeah, I, I think people rush to classify things and put a reason behind things, and you know, some things don't have explanations. Some things are just natural kind of consequences of things that have come before, and and that's how we view Doge and Shiba and et cetera, et cetera. We we have the answer to what happens when you give people a bunch of money and you lock them in their house. They're going to speculate Uh, as a form of entertainment and it's a form of income generation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with coming out and admitting that. I also think there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, Dogecoin and Shiba will not stand the test of time. and, And, you know, there are things that have fundamentals behind them in crypto that will naturally capture that attention. And so we're focused on the long term. We're focused on seeding the most interesting projects. We're focused on on pushing the financial space forward in a way that's constructive. Um, and we don't have any positions in Dogecoin and we don't have any positions in Shiba either, but, you know, we, we don't really think poorly about the people that do uh, that again, it's just not our place. It's about giving people access to financial services. And if they don't work, you know, that's kind of the other side of being your own bank or, or, or being in this ecosystem. But there are very positive things that come with it as well.
0: Let's zoom out from, doge coins if you want to call them that and unpack the way you decide to approach a potential position you're not in doge you haven't gotten to any of these coins you haven't decided short we saw um barry silbert came out with his big position his short position in doge so that was more for a charity thing than actual sort of on behalf of lps or anything what makes you decide how to like get it because the market's moving so fast. You know, there are probably countless opportunities to short or go long on some of these coins. We reported on some, you know, presumably a retail guy who turned $17 into 6.5 million. And I know you Vance, I know that you guys are at the cutting edge and are printing money based on your AUM. How do you decide what opportunities are right in this wild DeFi market and which ones are wrong? I
1: I think it's the same thing with athletes. Like you know, when the the best athletes, the game slows down. You know, it's not as fast. There aren't as many things happening, and that's you know exactly our plan as well. We focus on a very small subset of things. We're we're not focused on going short Doge or going short Shiba. You know, we have a, a large active trading um, presence on the lab side, uh, which is our sister company, but. You know, a lot of that is, is out of the headspace of what we do on a day-to-day basis. You know, like our day can be spent reading Twitter, trying to short Doge, you know, chasing all these short-term things, or we can meet with some of the most interesting entrepreneurs on the planet building products in one of the fastest growing and largest markets, you know, in the world. And so that's what we focus on. Uh, and then, you know, good portfolio company support. The rest of it, to my, you know, knowledge and, and to the extent that we participate is, is just kind of noise. And it'll come and go, but the firms that survive, that make it across cycles, are the ones that have a view towards the long term. They're not the ones that are, you know, trying to go long or short Doge.
0: I think last time we we spoke, you mentioned, you talked about like the different pillars of framework. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's let's unpack how how those feed into identifying those those big trading ops.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, at at our core, um, we're probably the largest customer of decentralized finance services, you know, that exists. And, and, and people, sometimes they say, you know, it's strange that you are, are a big customer of these protocols. But for us, it's about speaking from the cons- perspective of, of a consumer and also being able to throw our weight around, you know, when, when it has to be thrown around. And I, and I think people ask a lot, like, you know, who's going to be the, the firm or the consortium of people that stand up to, you know, behemoths like, you know, Sam or FTX or things like that. And it looks a lot like framework who is, you know, participating at every level of the stack in huge size, you know, trading, you know, a meaningful percentage of the open uh, interest in derivatives, trading a meaningful percentage of the volume on Uniswap, being one of the larger market makers and liquidity providers on both Curve and Uniswap. And and that's kind of where we realize a lot of our edge, Uh, you know, is not only being able to be someone's largest investor, largest trader, largest user but having an eye for, you know, what's fluff versus what's real, like what's working versus what's not and and how long is it going to take to rectify? And so that's a major pillar of, of what we do is is basically our labs offering. And then on the venture side, you know, just about Michael and I having a close circle of people that we trust that vet projects that we can understand, you know, what are the real trends in the landscape and and betting big on those. Like for our first fund um, there were times where we were betting, 17, 18, 9, 19% of the fund on single projects. And I, I just don't think you see that in very many venture firms. And that alignment of incentives via concentration is, you know, kind of the third pillar of what we do. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's about being good stewards of the space. It's about looking for grand slams. And, and for us, it's about being Ethereum first. Um, and I, don't, I think that's something that is in short supply, you know, these days.
0: What do you think, the way you think about the firm? Is almost like an arbiter of what is bullshit and what is not bullshit in a way. So, what is what is bullshit right now in DeFi and what isn't? What's the number one thing that you think is fluff, the number one thing you think is underrated or not being talked about enough?
1: Yeah. So, I, so the new kind of era of uh, DeFi is changing very rapidly. We had like version 1.0, which is basically, you know, X times Y equals K very rudimentary borrow land, very rudimentary swap functionality. And the space is now kind of going through, you know, it's 2.0 evolution where things like capital efficiency really matter. Cash flows really matter. You know, it's not just about a game of token economics and, and you know, user incentivization, but there has to be real meat there. And so the things that I think are going to be kind of this next generation of of, you know, real importance, you know, number one, as I mentioned, capital efficiency, I see things like Uniswap V3 where they are doing, you know, as much volume as they were on V2 with a tenth of the capital. And it's just clear that, you know, this is going to be, you know, a a huge transformation, both of the Uniswap protocol and of the underlying LPs. And that's just going to take, you know, the next three or four months to play out. The next thing, you know, of course, is is layer twos. And, you know, specifically, uh, you know, Arbitrum and Uniswap. Arbitrum launching in two weeks uh, you know, I think the, the top barometer of their throughput will be 4,500 transactions per second. You know, optimism will be close behind them. And so I think the reality of, of what Layer 2 brings is that um, not only will Ethereum scale faster than people expect, you know, in weeks, not months or years, but also there's a ton of latent demand of, for block space from developers themselves. Things like BitCloud were only possible because the guy who created it, uh, you know, forked his own blockchain. If that didn't happen, it just would have been feasible. And so we have, as one of our major kind of barometers of ecosystem health, like what is the net demand for block space? And I think when layer two launches, not only are we going to find that it's super high, but there's a lot of concepts that people won't even be willing to try without that guarantee in front of them. So, you know, layer two is going to be a huge theme. Um, in terms of the things that I think, you know, are frankly, you know, bullshit or, or not there quite yet. I think multi-chain has been hyped up to an extent that, you know, kind of is is further you know, farther ahead of where they are in reality. You know, it's not just about throughput, it's about, you know, what are the centralization trade-offs you're making? What does the real developer ecosystem look like? And a lot of those things you can't buy. It doesn't matter how much money you have if you run an exchange, if you're a prominent social media personality, but, you know, the things that are native to Ethereum, you know, if you go to Devcon in Osaka 2 years ago, there's Vitalik Buterin on stage banging a Japanese drum and 4,000 developers dancing in the aisles of this conference hall. Those are things that you cannot buy, no matter how many resources you have. And, and people have been heavily discounting the, the, just the spirit of Ethereum and the spirit of open and permissionless innovation that exists specifically on Ethereum. And so you know, I, I think multi-chain will kind of fade uh, as we you know, go through this cycle and people realize that you know, it's always been Ethereum. And, uh, you know, that'll be kind of a moment of reckoning as well. The other things I think are, are frankly bullshit are, are things like multi-chain swaps where, you know, if you really want layer one BTC and you're swapping it for layer one ETH, you know, is that a huge unmet demand uh, or a piece of unmet need? And frankly, I, I don't think so. You know, the throughput and the functionality of being able to treat wrapped assets on Ethereum is far greater than being able to trade you know, one asset for another on a base layer through something like ThorChain. And, you know, I just think that people will eventually realize that these are services that people don't actually want or need. Um, and you're only as fast as your slowest blockchain when you're trading cross-chains. So those are a couple of things that I don't think are as real.
0: Backed is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto loyalty and rewards, points, and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send, or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Available for download now in the App Store and Google Play Store. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere and maybe the best part Exodus is integrated with Trezor hardware wallet making advanced security easy for everyone download Exodus at Exodus.com today I want to get into some of the narratives that you think are real and juxtapose them with previous narratives that you guys have cashed in on but I want to just mention I feel a bit naive saying that I'm surprised about your AUM given what just Ethereum has done. I know you guys are very long Ethereum right now. So it kind of makes sense, right? When we went, you know, we've gone from a thousand to four thousand. So it makes sense that we've seen sort of that parallel in what you guys are overseeing, which raises a very important question, which I'd be remiss not to ask. And my colleagues when I told them you'd be on the show. Also, were clamoring for me to ask, which is, are we near the top?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I mean, not by almost any, you know, measurable standard. We we've been talking to a lot of uh, institutional allocators, um, you know, from some of the biggest banks in the U.S. to some of the largest fund of funds to some of the largest hedge funds the resounding you know sense that that i get is that people are underestimating the amount of capital that's coming off the sidelines probably by one to two orders of magnitude and so you know i think now the question is what are the narratives that will that will keep crypto carrying forward i'm i'm not a gigantic you know bitcoin fan and, and i think a lot of that rationale comes from the fact that many people sorry don't-
0: I, don't, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought there vance but when you say there's an Underestimating of the amount of capital of one to two orders of magnitude. Are you talking specifically about ETH or crypto overall?
1: I think crypto overall, but but in the context of institutions, sure. you know, there's only kind of uh, two that are Lindy enough, or that are kind of in their right stage of maturity for them to be considered, you know, institutionally investable assets. The thing that people forget Fair about right. institutions is that it's just a bunch of people that work there. And they need to justify this decision to their bosses. They don't want to look weird suggesting things. And so there's a good amount of kind of de-risking at the career level when things are discussed at an institutional level. And so ETH and Bitcoin are pretty much what's on the menu for this bull run. Then it comes down to what is the mixture of the allocation between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And to be honest, the past 20 years have been about technology. It's been about fang is now producing 1.5 trillion in revenue per year you know the asset class of technology has just become larger and more real and growing faster than people have ever expected you know trillion dollar companies are now possible in terms of market cap and so when these institutional allocators look at crypto you know they look at bitcoin and they see a lot of cascading assumptions that you have to believe you know inflation you know things like gold are a good inflation hedge. Bitcoin is a comp to gold. You know, there's a lot of things you have to believe. But when you look at Ethereum, it looks like a technology stock. It spits off cash flow, it's high margin, there's a developer ecosystem. And so, you know, for us, it's just about looking at what are their preferences, what are they used to investing in, and mapping that to, you know, the most amazing things that are happening in crypto today, which is, you know, DeFi and Ethereum at large. And it just seems like, you know, we're nowhere near a top in terms of Bitcoin or Ethereum. But the Ethereum story has a lot more to be told in uh, a, a world where there's not hyperinflation or there's not all these crazy things happening uh, than Bitcoin.
0: Well, I mean, that's another thing that I've been talking today with my colleagues about. When you look at the price of Bitcoin, given these inflation numbers, this narrative that it's supposed to act as some sort of hedge, and that's the thing that's getting all of these institutional investors on board, it's almost like that narrative, and I might get attacked for this, but hopefully the Bitcoiners aren't listening to this episode. They'll see Vance and they'll they'll move right on. Maybe that's not the case. But if you look at the Ethereum narrative, this idea that you're going to be able to build a new financial ecosystem, a new Wall Street on top of this decentralized network, that might be a narrative that might have more sticking power, given what we're seeing relative to the Bitcoin world for institutions. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think that's correct. Um, y- you just have to be a certain type of person or be in a certain type of mind space to invest in Bitcoin. And, you know, days like today where the inflation print is super high and Bitcoin is flat to down, you know, you, you basically get a limited number of mulligans until you have to reassess the story. And, you know, cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin in particular is, is uh, very flexible in terms of whatever their, you know, narrative of, of the day or month is. Uh, and they're also flexible in terms of, you know, you know, maybe it didn't perform today, but, you know, maybe in the future it might kind of do better with inflation. But I think it's hard to look at something that produces cash flow, that has a lot of the aspects that look similar to technology stocks 20 years ago, and then pick Bitcoin over it. You know, Ethereum is, and, and, and crypto and other layer ones and DeFi, It's just a fundamentally different type of story. And one of the interesting things that, uh, you know, I've seen just in terms of, uh, you know, people allocating uh, their portfolios to different things, you know, RLPs, you know, people I'm friends with, um, people are now choosing to own volatile stocks that pay dividends, you know, over things like growth stocks or, or, you know, highly speculative ETFs. And I think that's what Ethereum looks like at the end of this year, you know, spitting off tons of cash flow. Sure, it's a volatile asset, but there's something there that's productive. I, I just, you know, Bitcoin misses a lot of that and does not check those boxes in a lot of different ways. And I think what we're seeing today and in the past you know few weeks is just a reflection of that.
0: Mm, so it's less about maybe even Bitcoin falling short of the core of its bull case and more about what Ethereum has to offer and what it looks like against what we're, what we're seeing in traditional markets in terms of what's driving some of these high growth tech stocks.
1: Yeah, Joe Weisenthal had a pretty good tweet where he's, you know, it was like restaurants are printing money, airlines are, are doing well, you know, all this productive stuff is happening in the economy. And then there's a meme of a cat looking at a window saying, you know, I should buy Bitcoin, you know, like almost nobody would do that. And it feels like the same story is playing out with Ethereum and Bitcoin, where a lot of things are happening on ETH um, that are productive and that are moving it forward and expanding the TAM. Um, and Bitcoin is largely a finished product, uh, and, and that's okay. And I think there's going to be a TAM, and Bitcoin will go up, you know, ten to twenty to thirty X from here. But you know, it's it's going to be. I think uh, the story has already been told for Bitcoin. It's it's just a matter of how many people latch on who wouldn't believe it. Ethereum is much mm-hmm. more dynamic.
0: Well, to sort of play the skeptic, um, it's much more dynamic. It's also been much harder to scale. So mm-hmm. how do we overcome? That hurdle, right? We see every day, you know, I think um, Stephen De Toshi, as he is on Twitter, had a, a very astute tweet that pointed to this issue, which was um, in 2017, Ethereum was broke by cats. This year, it was broke by dogs to an extent. So um, that that is an impediment. Do we overcome that in the next year?
1: It it won't take you know the next year. It'll take two months, you know. If that optimism is in July, Arbitrum is May twenty eighth. Polygon is already out there. Um, I, I think there will be this change of of behavior where most users are are transacting on some sort of rollup, and rollups are extremely interoperable. But the people who are using Layer One are exchanges, are high value settlements. Um, And so the nature of what it means to transact on Ethereum will also change as these scalability solutions come into their own. But we're talking weeks, you know, not, not, not a year, not months. It's happening.
0: We talked about why the top is an end for Ethereum. We talked about what narratives you think are valid, which ones you don't think are valid. You guys made a name for yourself probably a year ago on oracles and derivatives, which you made a lot of money on. What's the next narrative in the Ethereum world to invest in right now? Or is it still oracles and, and derivatives or is it something else?
1: So there are things that are not possible today on-chain, just because the latency isn't, isn't uh, low enough. It's not fast enough. Things like options, you, you cannot build that on-chain. Um, and options are, are, you know in TradFi, you know, the largest financial instrument for speculation that exists. And so that will come and, and those will be big. But, you know, if you look at the, the volume on these decentralized futures exchanges, both perps, which you pay a daily funding rate and quarterlies where, you know, you're buying a, a specific date in the future asset, you know, those have very little uptake so far. And that's, again, because the latency is not low enough. It's not fast enough. It's extremely dangerous to price these things when you're operating with, you know, 13 trend, or 13 second block throughput. And so, you know, when you see L2 launch, you're going to see the fees come down. You're going to see these things be faster, more liquid, cheaper. And, you know, if you were to drop yourself into crypto without not without knowing anything about it and someone told you to point to the profit centers, you would point at the perp exchanges, the quarterly exchanges, the futures exchanges. And that is the next kind of area that crypto will go off and eat. And, you know, sure, as you're standing there, there will be tens of billions of dollars of volume per day In decentralized futures by the end of this year and options will probably be a 2022 phenomenon and then after that you know we're going to get these mainstream financial services that leverage the liquidity pools that are on chain the borrow lend functionality and they package them up into things that are mainstream accessible and so for the rest of this year you know we see the story being layer two powering the real emergence of derivatives and the real uptake and then, you know, in 2022 plus, it's just going to be mainstream financial adoption where DeFi just becomes fintech, you know, in the line between what is crypto and what is not is blurry. Um, there's a several totally. There's several protocols that are coming out that will allow you to get under collateralized loans. Teller is one of them. And, you know, Frank, as is, uh, is someone that I, I believe I saw a tweet where you recently took out a mortgage you know, there are just better, faster, cheaper financial services that are available to people that transact on chain. And right now being your own bank is terrifying because you have to manage your own private keys, but it will not always be that way. And so I see the future of this as just fintech and the TAM is, is basically infinite.
0: I've been beating the drum on this for the past few months. If you think about the waves of fintech innovation we've seen over the past decade there was the peer to peer lending then there was you know the cash accounts where you can ha- earn high yield and there was robo advising all of that has been done mm-hmm. within defi this past summer and <laughs> you know like we saw it all happen like and and we're almost literally at a point if you look at like the aums of firms like betterman or if you look at the revenues of companies like LendingTree or LendingClub, DeFi is not that much further away from where these folks are. I mean, like Betterment has existed since 2008 and they have 28 billion under management. You know, what's what's the perfect robo-advice analogy for the DeFi world? You look at something like Wi-Fi. I mean, what, what how much is locked into that? We're, we're talking over a billion after a year. Or Five less? And a half billion, actually. Five and a half billion. So we're literally a fourth of what we, we have with these so called, I mean, they're not so called, they're robo advisors, whatever you want to call them. And I don't know. It's just nuts to me. Like, I don't understand how you can be at any fintech firm or with any, within any bank and not see that and get scared shitless.
1: Uh, we're basically speed running all the development that's happened in fintech over the past 20 years. And we're going even further, you know, there are, you know, a good example is, you know, Wi-Fi comp to betterment. It's, 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 you know, one-fifth the size, it's it's growing at a faster rate, the margins are higher, it's governed by a DAO, which is fundamentally a new form way of higher, organization. Way higher. And, you know, you have that. You have things like MakerDAO, where as long as you have any type of crypto collateral Doesn't matter if it's midnight on Christmas Eve, you can go and get a loan. There's no one hassling you. There's no one asking you for how did you get this money? Where is it going? What are you using it for? They're just better financial services. And, you know, sometimes it works to, you know, tinker with things and use the existing system and, you know, try to make it work. But sometimes you just have to start from scratch. And that's what we're seeing with DeFi. And because it's open and composable. You know The masses of developers that have you know not been able to build financial services or, or get any play on the iOS app store or on the Android or Google Play store, they're coming to DeFi and seeing just an unbelievable amount of opportunity. They're developing at an unprecedented rate, and they're using composable infrastructure so they don't have to start from scratch. And that is really what's powering the speed running, um, and it's only going to continue.
0: Yeah, and it's not just retail folks who probably have seen I mean, we talk about this all the time at the block. Like, you know, I was a wealth front client for how long? Making from two percent APY to now 0.1. I mean, it's insane. You you can see why people want to sprint away from quote unquote traditional fintech. Makes sense for retail, for institutions, might be a Different story might be a bit scarier, but even on that front, we're seeing, you know, we saw Stani and Ave tweet today about this private pool he's got going for institutions that are still practicing. These are his words before aping in. Um, And we might see some development or more clarity rather out of that development in the next few weeks. We'll we'll close on this note because I think it's an important one. The value proposition for any user, you know, if I want to take out a loan, if i want to earn yield on my money as as frank you know i'm a simple country reporter but you know it makes sense from my perspective but for a firm that's maybe managing money on behalf of an lp or that's regulated how do we get from point a to point b in terms of that scary element
1: yeah i i feel like you know the really big misconception is that you know firms are just allocating to this; they aren't looking at using it. it. It could not be further from the truth. You know, you're seeing BNY Mellon, one of the oldest banks in America, starting a crypto custody solution, integrating Fireblocks. You know, making a way for institutional firms to put U.S. dollars in a bank account, transfer that into crypto as USDC, put it into Fireblocks, which has the ability to trustlessly and completely securely interact with 50 different DeFi contracts. And so this idea that institutions are, are like years or decades away from, inter- from interacting with DeFi, it, it's just kind of patently false. Um, and I think we're going to see announcements over the next mm-hmm. three or six months about people that are you know, either packaging up a you know, high yield savings account with a back end that's powered by DeFi or credit funds in the hedge fund space that are using you know, either the cash and carry on centralized exchanges or the DeFi kind of yearn vault strategy as a credit fund. And, you know, these things are not far away from happening because most of the people who work at these firms are between the ages of 25 and 35, and this is all that they do in their free time. They aren't really allowed to trade securities. A lot of them are allowed to trade tokens. And so this is something that is just a function of not the changing of the guard, but just the culture of an organization being shaped by the youngest and hungriest people and they are all pointing towards crypto as the next place where they want to go.
0: Well, Vance, as you hear about these developments, you make sure you and Michael tell me first before anyone else, because I'd like to be the person to break those stories. This was a great episode. This was one of the most energetic, exciting, interesting episodes of The Scoop we've had in the past few weeks. Thanks for coming on.
1: You're a gentleman and a scholar, Frank. Thank you. I try to be.
0: I try to be. I hope I... You know, I try to ask some tough questions. Keep me on your toes. Appreciate it. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks so much.
1: Amazing. Thanks, Frank.